Hello lovely listeners and welcome back to Darling Why. This week I take Louis on a journey back to 1986 to talk about my favourite ever high school movie, Pretty in Pink. If you want to make a game out of this episode, take a drink every time we call someone a wrong one or mention a bolo tie. And with that, I hope you enjoy the episode. Alright, so obviously you quite like this movie. I do. Okay, so um, the <laughs> reason the reason I picked Pretty in Pink is because if you'd asked me when I was 15 years old, what's your favourite movie? I would have said either Fight Club or Pretty in Pink. And I think that sums up really who I was as a person then and largely who I am as a person now. <laughs> Just, I think, a more nuanced, mature version of that, but at my core. At your core, you're either in a... I'm just in a in a psychologically fucked Edward Norton vehicle, or just in some great eighties hats. That's not what I not what I look like at the outside, but like in my soul. Yeah, I really see the dichotomy. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a really natural fit. I I have a real soft spot for like a certain type of teen teen girl movie. Elaborate for me. And I think that this is the peak of that. So my kind of favourite kind of movie This might shock you. Can I just shock you? Yes. I'm not a teenage girl. What? (laughs) So Uh, I wouldn't necessarily know when you say um, there's a kind of teenage girl. So I I really like um, a lot of John Hughes movies and I will talk a bit more about John Hughes in a bit but I really like so The Breakfast Club I really like this I also like kind of kind of mean girl type movies like mean girls but also like heathers like jawbreaker that kind of thing i like a type of like girly high school movie and they're all very different they're very different like the type of heathers mean girls type things is very different than breakfast club and pretty in pink but Mm. there is still that kind of main character you can kind of i think latch on to yeah and i saw the kind of the more mean girl style of teen movie a little bit older Okay. Not Mean Girls because that came out like during my lifetime, but the older ones I saw kind of more veering towards adulthood. But I saw this one like right at fifteen. Um, I saw Breakfast Club first, uh-huh. and then I le- I was like, oh, cool, John Hughes and Molly Ringwald, amazing. So just gonna <laughs> eat all those up. And this to me comes out which top. One, which one came out first? Um, just for my, I can't remember. I should know this. Sure. No, I'll tell you a bit about um the kind of the film context of the time. Was this the hotly anticipated follow-up to The Breakfast Club or was The Breakfast Club the hotly anticipated follow-up to Pretty in Pink? So the order the order in which they all come is there are three movies that have that are kind of like a John Hughes movie with Molly Ringwald in, in the lead. Oh, the Hughes Ringwald Cinematic Universe, yes. Yes. The HRCU. <laughs> the HRCU. Um, and the first one of those is 16 Candles. Ah, oh, okay. So... They made that first uh, when she was 16, then came The Breakfast Club later, and then finally came Pretty in Pink, and then that was their last movie okay. together. Okay. And she's been called, in, uh, even she kind of accepts this, uh, there was around this time she was his muse, because yeah. he was doing casting for Breakfast Club, saw her headshot, and wrote 16 Candles. Okay. He was like, this is a movie about wow. the girl I imagine, <laughs> I saw, like I just see this headshot, this is the girl I imagined this girl to be. I'm going to write this movie. And then later when he wrote Pretty and Pink, he also was like, who else is going to star in this? You know, I wrote this okay. for you. <laughs> there was supposed to be like a fourth film they were going to do together later, but it just didn't happen for okay. whatever reason. And uh, and then they didn't make another film together again. For context, um, it's kind of important to think about like who John Hughes was yeah. in terms okay. of what he meant for cinema just to kind of lay the stage for what kind of movie this is like i know a bit but you definitely know more than i do yeah it's been a large part of my teenage movie watching years just really re-watching a lot of john hughes movies which kind of explains why there's a real big chunk of cinema that until maybe the last two years i've just never seen <laughs> because i was watching pretty in pink over and over and so over again the entire over of 1980s cinema was just john hughes did john hughes too. write it no. no, I don't care. But that's still a really big chunk of his cinema. So he's really famous for obviously doing that kind of teen movie thing. And that is what I most strongly associate with John Hughes. Um, certainly when I was 15 and, and even still now, like yeah. if you said to me, John Hughes, I'd go Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Weird Science. 
Um, he also did National Lampoon's Class Reunion was his first movie ever. Oh, okay. And then he also did National Lampoon's Vacation. So he also yes. had this other kind of stream to his work, which was like doing things with National Lampoon's and largely John Candy. Mm. Um, so he isn't just a, a teen, teen yeah. movie guy, but he's just very famous for doing it yeah. really well, yeah. I suppose. Just to kind of contextualise some other stuff that he did that's really notable, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off is another really famous one. He yeah. did Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Yeah. He did All the Home Alones. Yeah. Not the fourth one, <laughs> but one through three. He did the live action uh, 101 Dalmatians. Wow, didn't he write? He wrote and directed all uh, the first three of them, yeah. Maybe not directed, he definitely wrote them. Yeah, because Christopher Columbus definitely directed at least one of them. But yeah, I'm pretty, he, yeah John, he, wrote, wrote he wrote he the wrote scripts them. for he them, wrote, yeah. He wrote them. Um, he also did the remake of Miracle on 34th Street and just... Which one? There's like 10. Is the that one the one with Mara Wilson? Yes. Ah, oh, that one, okay. Yeah, yeah I have seen that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's done loads, loads more. They were just some of the ones that I was like... Yeah, oh, okay, because even I didn't know a lot of the... Because I so, so closely associate him with... 80s teen movies. You just movies. think he just stopped working? No, I just, I just suppose <laughs> I didn't. I knew he wrote stuff and yeah. kept writing. Um, like he was still writing in two thousand and eight. He died in two thousand and nine. So he was writing right up until the end. Sometimes under a pen name, like he yeah. wrote Made in Manhattan under a pen name. <laughs> didn't want to put the John Hughes name to that, but like he was very prolific and kind of went in. You can kind of see in his later work, like really being very successful in that big Home Alone okay. kind of way, which is a different tone to this kind of earlier teen yeah. movie type thing, you know, which is interesting, mm. you know, in terms of writer. But he's just this very, very prolific writer and director and producer. And so I think like even outside the 80s teen movie kind of thing, he has such a big impact on cinema yeah, as we kind of know it today. I suppose the other thing to think about when he, like in the terms of him writing teen movies, there's a really great New Yorker article from, I think it's 2016 or 2018, that Molly Ringwald herself wrote. 2018. Okay. Um, which is called, What About the Breakfast Club? Revisiting the Movies of My Youth in the Age of Hashtag Me Too. And it's largely uh. um, focused on the breakfast club, but even and kind of what do we do with some of the stuff that was in film back then? But it, she still wrote some really um, like interesting kind of bits. Nothing to do with the hashtag Me Too stuff. Yeah. But about like her and making movies with John Hughes and kind of like, well, what was it that was so special about the way he wrote teen movies? Yeah. What she said was, so this is a quote from her. It can be hard to remember how scarce art for and about teenagers was before John Hughes arrived. You know, novels had not yet exploded as a genre. On screen, the big issues that affected teens seemed to belong largely to the world of ABC after school specials, which premiered in 1972 and were still around as I came of age in the 80s. All the teens I knew would rather have died than watch one. <laughs> and so that was the world like he was making movies in. So I think that to watch it now, it doesn't seem that, I suppose, big a deal or that different. But yeah it does feel like he was he was still the first one to do that thing to make a teen movie that kind of really emulated the way that reflected actual teens and actually had teenagers acting in them rather than the you know the very grease principle yes (laughs) exactly um or even look all the shows in like the mid noughties yeah. were all like uh, the yeah. the actors are 25 and the parents are 35 you know yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. still a thing that happens now but yeah. so he, it was quite different and like the movies that she made with him another quote from that same article is I made three movies with John Hughes when they were released they made enough of a cultural impact to land me on the cover of Time magazine and to get Hughes hailed as a genius mm. so that's kind of 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, and then Pretty in Pink. Like, that's the, certainly in the long term, I think, the impact it had. At the time, successful movies, maybe not necessarily people were being like, this is going to be iconic. Yeah, but there would have been a level of success oh, to yeah. them. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been able to get the funds to keep making the oh, yeah. next ones afterwards. They're, they're very, you know, even someone like me who'd never seen, I'd never seen 16 Candles, but I knew what that film was for years because it was co- it was referencing the culture and things mm-hmm. that I watched. People said, yeah. oh, 16 Candles. And I'd be like, oh, that's a thing then. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, like Same they're really Club. big. Yeah, I first, um, 
heard about the Breakfast Club, I was watching like the VMAs or something, something on MTV, yeah. and it was like the most prestigious of, of all awards. The look is, as we've discussed with the kiss, <laughs> but they gave the Breakfast Club like a special award for basically being an iconic movie. Yeah. Um, and I'd never heard of it before that. Yeah. And then I became quite obsessed with being like, oh, I got to see this movie. And TV <laughs> says it's iconic. Um, and that's kind of what got me into the whole... Uh, Did they present Molly Ringwood with like a surfboard or something? Oh, that's Nickelodeon. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like... In my memory, some of the cast did like receive something. Yeah. yeah. And that's a great movie too. I think I just have a, a softer spot in my heart for Pretty in Pink. I think probably like Breakfast Club is probably the more culturally significant significant that's the word significant movie and probably even like the better movie okay. but they're just very different like breakfast club largely happens in one room and it's kind of like a play you know yeah. so whereas, it's more of an ensemble piece isn't it it is it's absolutely an ensemble piece whereas this is clearly molly ringwald's character is the is the lead is the lead because i wanted to tell you a bit about what the landscape of cinema was like in 1986 this was the 22nd highest grossing film highest grossing film was another movie we recently watched from 86 which was Top Gun <laughs> of course uh, followed oh, yeah. closely by Crocodile Dundee and The Karate Kid Part 2 um, other movies uh, that, that came out that year that I thought would be interesting to mention Aliens. to you Aliens you are correct Star Trek 4 Space Whales yeah <laughs> and Rocky 4 just because you've to- talked about it relentlessly over the last few months Rocky 4 also came out this year but Pretty in Pink did just narrowly beat it, gross-wise. So, you know, here we are. And I suppose that's a lot of the background to where, where like, they're coming in with this. Because Molly Ringwald is, like, quite iconic at this point. John Hughes is definitely, like, this really big filmmaker. It's not like Sixteen Candles, which shot her to fame. But why do I like it? Which I suppose is yeah, the, that, that's, that's the, the general, that's the general question of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so I hear, my love. Because yes, this movie came out in 1986, and mm-hmm. like I wasn't born for another six years after. <laughs> so why why was I so into it? So like when I was a teenager, this was one of the movies that kind of became one of my. You know when you're sick and you're off school and like there's nothing on TV so you want to put something on to watch to make you feel better. Yeah. I watch this movie a lot. This was my okay. when I when I want to feel better movie. Like yeah. one of them. <laughs> and one thing that has struck me over the years, and even watching it as a 28-year-old now, but I've like noticed the change in how I feel about it over the years is how differently I've read it since being a teenager myself into being kind of 2021 20, up until yeah. now and how different it hits okay and i mean i suppose it's interesting to me because you have only seen it as a as a as an adult and not <laughs> as, a, as like we've established not as a teenage girl but it, it is very interesting to consider how that has changed a lot for me over the years yeah and i still like it a lot yeah i was gonna ask you are you referring to how you feel about certain characters or certain the way that certain relationships between the characters are portrayed. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, large. I mean, the movie is largely the relationships between characters well, and yeah. how they're portrayed. Was, like, what I mean is, like, if you're a teenage girl, you mm-hmm. look at it in, from one perspective. Yes. You think certain characters' actions are, you know, good or bad. But then as you get older, you might think, oh, I understand this character better now. Or I didn't relate to that character before. But I kind of get where they're coming from now. Yeah. That's something I have with films that I liked as a teenager that's something i think a lot of people have i just thought mm. is is this the same for you in the case of this movie yeah and i think that the two main things that are different mm-hmm. are one just broadly so the movie is quite like heightened yes in terms oh, of yes it's very heightened i was gonna say it's very <laughs> like with the exception of molly ringwald's character i think m- pretty much all the characters are like fairly one dimensional like and that's not necessarily a bad thing they just kind of fit in their role yeah they they yeah they're not nuancing themselves out of the role no. they are they're just she's probably the most complex yeah. character she's in the it, lead and the she's story. the lead yeah. so she's the space to be the most complex character but everyone is kind of like in their role and they're not going to deviate from that and everything is very heightened over a short space of time People have four com. Everyone's in love. No one's just like I fancy you. Everyone's, yeah. oh, I love you. We've had four conversations. Yeah. You know, like, and I'm. 
especially rewatching it now, I really noticed that this time round, that kind of yeah. real heightened sense of yeah, but that makes sense, love and though. hate. I mean, as a that teenager, I think that is what we're like as teenagers. Yes, that's, that's so what, it makes that's what it's portraying. I mean, I still think, I think it is to like over the top. I think teenagers are well, yeah. still more grounded than that, yes. but... It's interesting to me how, as a 15-year-old, I was like, yep, that's very a perfectly realistic portrayal <laughs> of how relationships should go and how love is. And now I'm like, oh, yes, the teenage lens. And around age 20, I was at that point where I was like, this is ridiculous. No yeah. one is like this because I'm still too close to be like... It's realistic and 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 not old enough yet to be like okay this is a heightened thing that they're intentionally doing to just get the feelings up yeah so that's one thing i think has changed over the years and i still like it like the way one likes a a fairy tale yeah it's it's simple on its surface but i i mean i like the performances a lot even if i don't like the characters i think all the performances are really great yeah um, so that is one thing. The other thing is how I feel about different characters has changed drastically over the years. I've always liked Andy, who's yeah. Molly Ringwald's character. I'd be worried if you didn't. No, but I, I like her in different ways. I think yeah. I think I like her more the older I get mm. because I do think that even though she has like very like that very heightened sort of romance to her, she still is like. You know, She's when, objectively the most sensible person. That's what I mean. Her reactions to people being like ridiculous are very appropriate. She has a look of disdain on her face when people are being just absolute gals. Yeah. She acts like someone, like if someone were to act that way to one of us, the facial expression is the one I would make now. Yeah. And because the disdain is real, that's a dick way to act to someone. Yeah. I think like, especially as a teenager, when you feel like an outsider or you feel like a bit because again I was like a goth emo teenager yeah so looked visually different uh you know we can talk about why do teenagers do that but like clearly like a nerd and 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 not one of the cool kids so obviously I related very hard to that yeah and leading into that and then I mean how I feel about the men of this movie <laughs> remains changeable to this day I mean they're objectively all wrongins yep all of them her the least wrong in is her dad yes but even he has to learn a hard lesson about moving on yeah and you can't force love upon someone no. to, and like that's the that's really the lesson of this movie isn't it um is uh, yeah i can see that for some certainly for two characters is yeah. that you can love someone all you want you can't make them love you back yeah. her the character of her father harry dean stanton beautifully played yeah beautifully played is still like I, I never got it until like this watch where I was like, oh yeah, no, he's he's also just needs needs a hard lesson to learn. But but the all the rest of them, all the teenage boys in this movie <laughs> are for all their own special reasons absolute wrongins. I wouldn't usually say such a thing, but Ducky. Simp? I mean, I think that's the point. They wouldn't have had that verbiage then. No, but You could also call him to go back a couple of years nice guy tm oh god he Which really he is. is yeah exactly when i was like i said a couple of years ago when i rewatched it that's that was my reaction i was like oh he's not a good friend to her no he's not <laughs> he's a good awful. friend to her he's he's very like she doesn't like you dude no get over it and i i stop being a creep um i have more sympathy for him since that watching I- I I've would, rolled back around to having more sympathy yeah, from him. I would like to. I would like to point out <laughs> very that John Cry's performance is incredible. It's a I think it's a great performance. Yeah. My only issue is, is the film trying to frame him as a likable character? Well, that's a deeper conversation. Or because if the film is trying to frame him as a likable character, to me, that doesn't work. But if the film's trying to frame him as Bellend, then. John Cryer should have won an award for that performance. Yeah. Like, I... He should have won many awards because he is unbelievable. In the, he yeah. commits to it in such a great way. Oh, my way. word. He's, he, it's a really great performance from John Cryer. Mm. And I have so many... Of all the characters in this movie, I have such complex feelings about, um, about the character of Ducky. 
And maybe I should take you on a timeline of it, honestly. So when I was 15, <laughs> when okay. I was 15, my first... Do you see yourself in him? Oh, well, absolutely. Or did you see? Did you have a friend that was kind of like that? Not oh, no, if anyone... You, but to no, no, no. Look, I, I, knew pe- I knew a lot of people like this. I could see some of myself in him as well. And I was like furious the first time I watched this movie and I was like why did she not end up with Ducky now again Louis I was 15 <laughs> I was 15 people's brains aren't fully developed till they're 25 so <laughs> let's take that with the let's let's keep that context I was furious I because I was like this is what love is man how can she not because I was 15 um <laughs> And clearly had not learnt the societal lesson that just because you love someone doesn't mean they should love you back. Yeah. Which I think is a lesson all children must learn along the way. Every single one of us are guilty of that. And that's just the reality of of growing up. Then I rewatched, like as I got older, I was like, oh, he's a nice guy TM. And I'm really glad that all the way through Everyone is a bit like, you need to calm down. Yeah. And I just never noticed that the first time round, I think. But uh, Andy's constantly making a fucking face at him. Yep. Being like, you get away from me. Yeah. Even her dad is like, you can't make someone love you. Yeah. Her friend uh, is like, uh, what are you doing here, man? Yeah. Uh, everyone is like, you are incorrect. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, he's gross. I'm glad she ends up with Blaine. And now... I rolled, I, I still think he's a wrong'un, but I have more sympathy for him because I, in the movie, obviously, like, they're all supposed to be, like, 17, 18. And yeah. I now am 28, so I can look with sympathy. Oh, they're children. <laughs> they're barely adults. And so I understand, <laughs> but I, when you're 15, you're like, well, we're, they're older than me. They're the, yeah. they're the wise ones. Of course, this is how the world is. <laughs> now I can look back with hindsight and be like, yeah, no, there are certainly people exactly like that. Maybe not as over the top, mm. but I don't think I ever really picked up that much. Like, he's he's an asshole in it. Like, he is. But he's like that because he's leaning into being a weirdo. Yeah. So other people can't call him out on that. Uh, much like an American vandal. <laughs> to make a, a, a cross at the so callback. But like, like Fruit yeah. Ninja. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing you know yeah and if he's very joking and gross with his love for her mm. that's not vulnerable you can laugh that off where yeah. if he's at the end i think he is quite sincere yeah with her and he doesn't seem like a wanker then mm. he seems like an actually a good friend mm-hmm. but to answer your question because i think there i have i do i do have a, a point of view on whether he's supposed to be likable or not yeah and for that, me to oh, answer, there, we need to talk about the ending. Answer? No, there okay. isn't. But that isn't the original ending. Right. The originally written ending is Ducky and Andy end up together. So with that in oh, mind, wow. with that in mind, you've got to assume that he's supposed to be likable. And that's why I told you that at the end, Andrew McCarthy is wearing a wig because they do reshoots. Because when they played the original ending, audiences booed in the previews. <laughs> According to, according, this is from an interview with... Um, was it John Cryer or John Hughes or... It was from uh, Howard Deutsch, the, oh, the, the, the director. director yeah. He said, the original ending was Ducky and Molly ending up together and the audience booed. And so we all had a heart attack and had to reshoot. And John figured out how to change it so that Andrew came alone to the prom and then Ducky sacrificed his love and Molly and Andrew could be together. <laughs> that was from an interview he did with Cinema Blend. Oh my God. Oh. Which also explains why it's a little bit abrupt, the ending. Why why Anthony McCarthy's just like I love you, because <laughs> <laughs> it has to make it work somehow. You I know? mean, I've, I like I yeah okay. See now that that makes a lot of sense because I was a little bit like oh this is very abrupt, but at the same time yeah. this is the correct ending in it my is. opinion. I've I've changed I've obviously but changed my tune over the years. I do think that's the correct. ending I do almost feel for me it's like scene missing. There's like, yeah. a, there's like actually like one scene missing there. But I can forgive that. Yeah. But... I can forgive I, it because I it's mean, such a simple story. What I cannot forgive is the <laughs> wig work. Because that was not even slightly convincing. I didn't think they were the same. But I thought this was like a twin brother character at first. 
I thought that there was going to be a, uh, like a twist ending. There's a very different texture to his hair. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, it, the fall of it is very different. Yeah, He looks like he's gone on a sort of hair scalping spree. He shaved his and, head for play. Yeah. That's why they had to give him a wig. I mean, he couldn't even... It's a different colour. <laughs> I'm sure it was a different colour. I don't know if it was, it was just... I think it was a lighter brown, his actual hair. Yes. Yeah, like, did they not have reference material? Oh, wait, they did. An entire film's worth of material. They were really turning this around quickly. Wow. They, they had to write and shoot a whole Don't different ending. I'm not saying, I'm not like saying, oh, this is no, ruined the film. He looks normal. But there's, it is fucking funny. There's been worse wig work. There has been worse wig work. But that was so obvious. Yeah. Like, that was so <laughs> obvious. That, that was, that's not, I mean, it's not up there. It's not quite on the same level as Kate Mara in Fant Four Stick, the 2015 version of the Fantastic Four, where that's like just nonsensical. Just There's been some great bad. wigs, great bad wigs over the years. Oh yeah, in cinema, but uh, but yeah, so that is one thing. And I think the character of Blaine. I mean, I think he a lot of the when he's an asshole, he's meant to be. Okay, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like obviously you're not supposed to like him when he disinvites her to prom. No, that's horrible. And I think you're also not supposed to like him. When he like brings her to his friend's party and stuff. I think you're supposed to be like, oh, he's a bit of a wrong one. Whereas with, with John Cryer's character, I do think that in 86, you were supposed to be on his side a little bit. <laughs> and clearly it worked because at 15, I was. <laughs> at 15, I was well on his side. Furious <laughs> that they didn't end up together at the end. So it, it, it is interesting. I thought kind of when I made my journey from like, pro ducky to he's a nice guy tm that was the journey done but no no i've rolled right back round to like a sympathetic mom now but i i think it's interesting interesting dynamics and i think that you do get a lot of like molly ringwald's character's perspective on it yeah you know because even when it's interesting so if the intention was for her to end up with ducky i mean like most of the movie she is like yeah what no uh, no yeah. Yeah. and he is a bad friend to her all the way through yes. like you get that okay they've been friends since they were children and yeah. that's probably why they're still friends even though he is being an ass yeah she doesn't really seem to have any friends at the school that aren't him she has that one friend who got her in trouble in gym oh yeah I completely forgot and about that and she has her person. boss in the shop I completely forgot about the friend from the oh, sorry that's really bad of me she's only in like two scenes fine yeah but like yeah, like I just get And she hangs out in the in like the back of the school with all the other kind of new wave and, and punk kids. Yeah. <laughs> they were sitting there listening to their new wave. Oh look, you replace post punk. You replace uh those bands with just like System of a Down and Slipknot, and that is my school yeah. experience. So let's not even <laughs> let's not even joke as if there wasn't a place in every school for just like the weird alternative kids to congregate and hang out. <laughs> we were sort of spread everywhere, different depends on the year group. Anyway. My school was so small that it was literally yeah. anyone who listened to metal, in, you're in that corner, essentially. <laughs> you get to hang out by the railing. You get to hang out <laughs> by the stairs. That's where you get to hang out. I, I know you're a big fan of James Spader. Are you going to... I know! I know! I are, Look, I, be, I later became... Are you going to talk to his hair? I later became a fan of James Spader. Like, I wasn't aware. I didn't connect. I saw this movie so young that there's lots of actors that I didn't connect that they were the same person. Yeah. Until I, like, went back with old older eyes. So James Spader, for example, saw him in lots of other stuff. His hair is feathery glory. Yeah. Right? And he looks again, like he's come out of an audition to be in Duran Duran. Oh, truly. There's one point when he's wearing his full white linen suit, and we will talk about the looks in this movie. Yeah. But he's not wearing socks. I think that's important. No, he's to not note. wearing socks. Just wearing shoes. When he's having a fight with Ducky, he's definitely not wearing. That's he's, what he's, I mean. Yeah. He's, which is a popular look now. The whole weird shoe. And some like, of a lot yeah. of this has come back, yeah. which I think is interesting. But James Spader is, you know, the villain of the story. I suppose there's yeah. no villains in these kind of stories, but he is like the like. Just one thousand percent is a, is a gal, no redeeming features. See, to James I, Spader's character. See, when I was when I was just watching this, I got the impression almost that James Spader's character he was playing like the character was like way older and was just over this shit. He was just using everyone for his own hedonistic desires. I mean, I, I get that. that that's, like that's 
that's the character, but he's the same age as them. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. He's the same age as them, but the way he portrayed it, the way he played it, he was playing it like he thought he was, is actually a very clever portrayal. Yeah. Because he's trying to give the impression of being like some sort of like sophisticate. Yes. Almost. And it's great, like, another great performance. Like, mate, you're a child. Yeah. No, but that's it. They're, like, you're, the movie is just to the brim with excellent performances. I, I could almost see his character t- morphing to Patrick Bateman. Oh, yeah. Like there is that one, <laughs> there is that one shot near the end yeah. where they're like panning across his face, like yeah. making eye contact with Andy, and it's like, oh, he is going to murder her. Like that's that what that look says. <laughs> I expect him to start talking about his fucking moisturizing routine and doing a thousand push-ups and a thousand crunches before and work. His, and his beautiful business cards. Yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful. He was going to get a reservation cards. at Dorsia. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But that's again in that very stereotypical way. He is that sort of yuppie Patrick Bateman yeah. rich boy yeah and plays it very well yeah. you know the other just because I said uh, there's lots of actors that I didn't realise they were who they were until later so uh, Ducky again yeah. was my favourite character at mm. age 15 saw this movie like 10 times and then one one day my friend was like you know it's Alan from Two and a Half Men and I was like I'm sorry what because I hadn't connected those two things together and of course I'd seen Two and a Half Men because I was alive at that time and had television and I just didn't connect he has the same face his John Cryer's face has not changed necessarily never connected the two and then I just couldn't unsee it every look in this movie is a sensation and I want them all Ducky's meant like I'm guessing Ducky is living in thrift shops yes You've got to assume. He doesn't have a bed frame, Louis. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have parents. He doesn't even have a box frame. Does he have parents? Who knows? Because I get the impression that he does not. He's just squatting. Like, like, (laughs) literally. Something horrendous has happened to this young man. Who knows? Something genuinely, like, because he doesn't, I don't think he even mentions family. Unless I've I've misread. No, I don't think he does mention a family at any point. Yeah, the the way I see it, he, he lives in some sort of squat, flop house, whatever. He doesn't yeah. have a proper. He doesn't have a bed frame, which is. He doesn't have the, a box spring. Doesn't have a fucking. He has jack he just, shit. He's a mattress and a graffitied wall. Did he graffiti it himself? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I, I'm. I'm still. Sympathy I'm like, for how, Ducky. How dark is this guy's origin? Like, exactly. <laughs> Look, give, give me that prequel. If yeah. you're gonna reboot oh, anything, God. give me that prequel. Look, it's a great time for wicker shoes. <laughs> it's a great time for hats. Oh, the hat game in this movie is yeah. very strong. Great time for bolo ties. Yeah, Jesus On Christ. On all How genders. Fucking bolo ties. Oh, look. I almost am like, I should start wearing shirts just so I can wear a bolo tie. Oh, please don't. You mean you wouldn't I be... I hate bolo ties. I'm sorry. You wouldn't think I'm them. the height of beauty in a bolo tie? No. I think you're a crap oil baron. <laughs> I am uh, just the the oil Texan from The Simpsons. <laughs> you think you're fucking Jr. from Dallas? Yes, <laughs> Jr. from Dallas is my style icon, and I won't hear any comments about that. Thank you. I love the big brooches. I love uh, how feathery Molly Ringwald's hair gets when she curls it. Oh man! Um, is it me or was her hair very similar? I, this might sound crazy, but her hair looked a lot like Catherine O'Hara's in Home Alone. It's a look. It's, it's a strong look. I just love all the kind of new wavy 80s kind of burnout kind of looks mm. in that movie. I don't care much for the kind of uh, the rich boy Duran Duran prep look. <laughs> yeah. I know you love a full white suit. but um, I mean, imagine going to school full looking white like suit. that. Full like Duran Duran. If, if you did that, if you did that, yeah. if you did that when I was a lad, like you'd just get bodied. Well, we didn't grow up in the eighties, which is part of it. But like, if if I if we did non-uniform day, yeah. and, and I turned up in a fucking suit. white linen suit, there was a character in in the party scene. There's a character who's supposed to be wearing some sort of white suit. I don't know if it was a linen suit, um, but he was wearing that, and he seemed to be wearing like a green t-shirt. He was going sort well, of. Well, I remember. I want to say Miami Vice, but not yeah. quite. It's getting there though. I mean, I'd wear the shit out of that because yeah, I can yes. see it. <laughs> oh yes. But if I and then I to, would dress like Andy. But if I wore all that to a non-uniform day, I would get fucking bodied. Of course. I would of get absolutely would. destroyed. But that isn't that wasn't like the rich look of 2006, Louis. 
I don't can't remember what was fashionable in 2006. I was still wearing fishnet wrist wrist things on my hands, <laughs> hand warmers to school with my navy uniform. Look, I can't remember what was cool then. I don't know what's cool now. But like clearly that's the height of fashion. Yeah. <laughs> in in 1986. Yeah. But yeah, just a lot of billowy pants. Mm. Very billowy pants. Yeah. A lot of pleats. A lot of pleats. I'm not into the billowiness. I want to tighten it up slightly because the billowiness just makes you look kind of like you, you're wearing your dad's clothes. Yeah. But I That's think a... that was also part of the look in the 80s. That was. Yeah. I mean, even, even, I mean, if you look at, if you look at sports, and this might sound like a weird analogy, but if you look at sporting uniforms, mm-hmm. as in, for example, if you see, if you look at any soccer team from the 80s and then you look at the same team like 20 years later now, like in the 80s, their shirts were so billowy. Up until about 10, 15 years ago, football and soccer shirts were so billowy, they looked like they had gone into their dad's wardrobe and taken all the clothes out of it. Oh, that's fun. Oh, yeah. It was, I like that. Yeah. Even at international level. Like, it's, 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 just, it's just like, and that, le- that was the level of billow. That was the level of, yeah. like, just excess sort of. I remember wearing fucking sporting uniforms at school, and yeah, they were billowy as shit. I remember wearing the rugby shirt, and it was just like hanging off me. And, and yes, when you look at the outfits of like the kids from the wrong side of the tracks, as yeah. it were, no, very little. No billow. billow. But you know, I have a suspicion. Sharper. But you know why that is? Fabric's expensive. Mm. And do you know what you need for a billowy piece? A lot of fabric. So, so you're saying that billowiness is a flex? A flex, yes. A powerful flex. As in the Victorian era, as in any historical era where you're like, look at this massive skirt. Do you know how much fabric you went into this skirt? You can tell I'm not skirt? a history of fashion guy. So you can see how to... big my hands are being held out to you yeah. right now in this audio medium. Yeah. The big they, old skirt. Oh my word, they're so so wide. Think of a ball gown, Louis. You've seen a ball gown before. A lot of fabric. Only Look. rich folk can afford that. <laughs> of a fine linen, as in James Spader's suit. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I mean, and there is something very likable about James Spader's evil character. I just yeah. not to, he's very small part in this movie, but not to hard. Oh, he steals him. every scene. Again. That's it. He's not that big a character. Like he's just Blaine's friend. Yeah, but he he's just uh, iconic. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's a highlight of the movie for me. Yeah, as he is in every him. movie he's in. I, I loved every time <laughs> he was on he screen. In... I just thought this is joyous. Every movie, but I mean, like he's <sighs> going back to my. Um, you know, comment that all men in this movie are trash, uh, which they are in their own special ways. There is like, obviously the, the answer to who's the most trash is James Spader, but because he's very upfront about who he is, part of me is like, do, you, is that do a hustle? I respect you have, it more? Yeah, do you have to respect the hustle? He's just very truth. He's not lying. Very truthful about what he's about, mm. his priorities. Mm. Uh, he seems to be drunk most of the time he's yes. in a scene. <laughs> So, he's playing almost elegantly wasted <laughs> very elegantly wasted but he can still capture that kind of blurriness behind the eyes yeah. that a drunk person who's trying to be real cool has Yeah, a master class of acting drunk <laughs> <laughs> overall I think like like I said it's a very simple story and I mean I, I think if it was to be written today there's a lot of things that would probably be changed about it because maybe it's like some of the characters are almost too simple or too in their it would probably be longer i think i think that's the main change i think it'd be longer give more space yeah yeah i i wasn't when i watched i wasn't gonna say oh this film needs to be 30 minutes long because i get what it was trying to tell was i'm stunned at this that they haven't someone hasn't tried to remake this I can't remember what interview I read this in or is, like, there a, is there some sort of real no I think just Molly Ringwald doesn't really like the idea now obviously she's no control over it but I know she doesn't well, yeah. see the point of remaking movies that are considered classics mm. um, I read that Hollywood some, doesn't some, some <laughs> Hollywood doesn't believe that but um, yeah I don't necessarily think like I think it would be strange to remake um, in the same way it would be weird to remake Home Alone it would be but it'll happen but it would be weird I I, I think you can more is, easily think, make it yeah than this though I, I think there is a reboot happening how I was also going to say musical I'm surprised that this has not been adapted into a stage musical a la Heathers yeah a la Heathers 
how their meme goes. I'm genuinely surprised that no one, no Broadway producer, no Broadway hack, impresario, whatever you want to call it, I'm genuinely watching that film. I was thinking, how is this not a Broadway musical? Because like, the, how is this not being adapted? The beats are there. Sorry. The beats, like story wise, are there quite easily adapted. I, I kind of agree with you in that sense. It's not even from a creative point of view. Mm. Just from a you know the amount of random films or not random the amount of films that have now ended up as stage musicals whether they were successful whether they went for fuck's sake American Psycho the musical was a thing that happened yeah you know we've had Beetlejuice the musical fuck's sake like nothing is off the table when it comes to I musicals know. I don't love it adapting Hollywood movies to stage musicals it surprises no. me that Pretty in Pink has not been someone who's mm. not I mean you know Dirty Dancing has ended up on the stage oh yeah but there's a lot like, of dancing in that yeah but are you telling me you, there's <laughs> fucking dancing in Pretty Pink no I know but it's not like a central can you tell you choreographed it look you have Ducky dancing to Otis yeah there are yeah. so many moments I'm, again I'm not a musical writer but there are so many moments thinking about it I'm like well you could put a song there you could extend this yeah. you could like you could easily easily I think turn that into a musical without necessarily having to do that much yeah, to it. Because whether it's a good idea or not. Mm, yeah, but like it just surprises while me. I yeah, I wouldn't do it because I again I don't even the ones that are good, even the ones that I know are good. Do you find yourself I going still what's don't the point? want them, yeah. Yeah you I don't know. I want original musicals only. Like, yeah, that's because you like musicals. I do the like form. musicals. I do like the form and Whereas I a lot of folks would probably not agree that they like the form, but they like seeing the things they love. Yeah. I, I only tend to in like seeing whatever form. Sometimes I'm like the books. I'm even like don't turn the book into a into a show or a movie. Like I'm very attached to the what to the version I I like. You know, I don't think, for example, Breakfast Club would work as a musical because it's already so much like a play because it's an ensemble cast and it's not as like heightened as this. It's like the idea of like don't just put a song in for the point of it for the sake of it. Put in a song because you can't. You're too emotional to speak now. Um, See, I agree with you that the Breakfast Club wouldn't work as well. Whereas this when might. Ne- where Breakfast Club would only work if you like write scenes where they're not in the same room. Yeah. Or, as in they're in a different room. What my point was, I'm surprised that no one's tried. Tr- not tried it because yeah. mining old stuff for new musicals is yeah. a thing and has been for a long time. I'm you surprised do, we haven't got to them yet. You could do Breakfast Club as a stage play. Because you could just have it, have it like a, you know. A, you could do it as a stage play. Oh, I don't think you should, but you could. But they won't do it because it's not profitable the money, as a musical. The money's yeah. in their music. I know, yeah. The money's um, in the music. That's you know. I, I, the I, crowd pleaser. Like I don't know, is Pretty in Pink too? Has the boat passed on that yet? I don't know because I've always been obsessed with it, so I don't know what the, what the rest of the world thinks about it now in twenty twenty one. But like you could again, I don't want them to. But yes. Uh, it's very easy to set up each of each of the characters have such a simple this is who I am this is what I want I've now changed by yeah. the end of the mo- we've all changed yeah. by the end of the movie yeah. or the musical tada yeah. so in that sense it does work whereas you don't have it as direct and kind of some of the other some of the other ones mm. but yeah, I don't want them to <laughs> <laughs> I'm a musical purist <laughs> Um, the other thing I want to mention to you uh, is, have you ever heard of the another John Hughes movie it's called Some Kind of Wonderful? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it came out the year after this. And it's essentially the same story. What? So, <laughs> Who's in it? Uh, oh, I can't even... Re- n- n- no one in these movies. Okay. One of the female leads is Mary Stuart Masterson. Okay. Um, and Leah Thompson is the other female lead. Can't remember the name of the male lead because I'm the worst. Editing Kate here, just jumping in to say the male lead of Some Kind of Wonderful is Eric Stoltz. Now back to the episode. But um, it's essentially the same story with the genders reverse. Okay. So you have a male lead instead of Molly Ringwald. Mm. And he he has a, a, a female best friend who's in yeah. love with him. And uh, and, he, and he starts dating uh, a girl uh, who also is kind of like in that rich, okay. richy kind of club. And it's not as famous, I don't think... It's not as lauded as as a movie like Pretty in Pink, 
And the ending's different because he ends up with the ducky parallel. All right. He ends up with his best friend. How interesting. And it really works. Right. Because she's not a wanker. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's part of it. She's not... She's in love with him, but not in that, not in a, not in the same way that Ducky's in love with Andy in this movie. Do you reckon he wrote it deliberately as almost like a do-over? Yes, absolutely. That's the thing. Like, I'm not sure if he's ever said that, but that's the assumption is that because he wrote it straight away afterwards and was like, "Well, I wanted this ending, so I'm going to write it with this ending," you know. Um, <laughs> and I think one of the reasons it works is the characters are much more nuanced, and it gives them space to be actual kind of more. They're more people rather than archetypes. Mm. And it really does work. And it probably is, I think story-wise, probably a better movie. I still love this more. This is more... I've said it before about like bands. I really love a heightened emotion. Yeah. Love a heightened emotion. You're not into um, like staring at the floor. Do, 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 you know. Thank you for that shoegaze impression. It was beautiful. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what you just did. <laughs> I love, I love a, a big heightened emotion. And... Uh, and yeah, maybe like it's part of the reason why I like musicals. Even hmm. um, I like when people's emotions are too big for for their their own boots. I don't know what I was trying to say there, but um, uh, <laughs> but but some kind of wonderful is definitely worth a watch if you want a more grounded version of what this is. Okay, with more space in it. It's it it ha- like you say you felt like there was kind of like a scene missing. It kind of has that. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It fills in those blanks. It it narratively flows. You're like. All the way through, you're not quite sure who who he is going to end up with, and and it still makes sense. It would have made sense either way. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because they they again, they're more grounded. Would it have made more sense than every time the character says "Let's plow" when he means "Let's." Plow. I never noticed that until this time we watched it, and I too was like very confused by it. I was like, <laughs> what is he saying? <laughs> why why is he? Why because is he maybe. Maybe as a as a as a as a child, I was just like, because I don't think that's something people say as much in Ireland, or certainly they didn't when I was a teenager. So I was like, oh, that's just a weird thing he says. It, from context, I get he means let's go. But uh, but it's but, weird when he says let's plow because I'm like he's so gross sometimes it, yeah. when he is like you know can I rest my head in your lap? Yeah. So it would make perfect sense for him yeah. to also be like let's plow in that yeah. sense. But, um, I mean, I, I see that, and I just think, is he referring to, are they going to go and, like, do some, get some crops from the ground? Are they, are they, are they preparing for a kids. harvest? Exactly. They're not going to farm the exactly. earth. So it's just like, why is he, like, it's just, it's just such a weird choice. Because if he just said it once, I probably wouldn't have even brought this up. The fact he says it multiple times. It's his thing. Like. It, it would appear. I, I have to, like, Ducky's such a fucking odd character. Yep. I feel like I could do a four-hour podcast could, trying to psychoanalyze yeah, I him. I could conservatively talk about Ducky for hours. Because, I, like I said, even my journey and my feelings about yeah. the character have changed so drastically over the years. I feel like there's a part of me that kind of wants to see a buddy cop movie between him and Blaine where they both end up somehow as police officers and they have to solve a variety of crimes. I, I don't know. I, In I quite this scenario... That. Has the character of Andy just like disappeared off to some completely other city? Like she went, she took her scholarship and went. Yeah, Fair or she completely disappeared in this scenario. But it's just, uh, I just get shit body comedy vibes between. If I put the, you, you put those two characters together, they solve crimes. They're the an chief odd gets couple. upset. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Blaine's the star of the force, but Ducky's a loose cannon, but he gets yeah. the job done. I mean, he is the loose cannon. Yeah, damn it, Ducky. You know all that sort of thing. He's such a gal throughout the movie. And I love it. I mean, like, just big emotions. In the same way that, like, you know it's wrong to, like, lash out and fight someone. Yeah. And if you, as someone in your 20s or 30s does that, that you are wrong and you are incorrect if you lash out at someone physically. But you understand in the context of a high school movie. Yeah. When your feelings get too big, you've got to have a tantrum of some kind. Yeah, that fight scene was delightful because it was so pathetic. And that's how it would be. Yes, that's what I mean. I, I don't mean exactly. Was, yeah, no, that's but exactly that's what I mean. I mean. Yeah. No one in a high school ever ever knows how to fight properly no. unless they're actively learning martial arts. Yeah. In which case, then I'll allow it. Yeah. Well, the last thing that James Spade's character is going to be doing is learning how to fight because no, he said doesn't need to. He can buy a bodyguard. Yeah. And Ducky's unrefined fighting style. It's just run a run, run throw myself at this 
much larger man. <laughs> Just get the absolute shit kicked out of me and then run into the night. <laughs> Which I loved. I was like, look, don't let the teachers catch you. Just keep running. Run out of that school. Take the prom poster with you. <laughs> And uh, just to give a big shout out to Annie Potts' character, because she's a dream throughout that whole movie. Mm. Would you have a sort of like the wise older sister almost? Yeah, like not quite the mom stand in, because she's still younger than that, but the, the adult you can turn to yeah. for advice. But she's also completely loopy. Yeah. Uh, some great fashion choices. <laughs> Every scene. Every scene, completely different from each other. Yeah. Do we see a real hair? No, know. I'm pretty sure most of that is wigs. Yeah. Like intentional wigs. Yeah. What a lovely prom dress she gives to Andy, who then Mangles cuts it, it up. Then does some sort of... <laughs> I would make the argument that every character Andy, in this movie... Andy, the ultimate seamstress. Every character in this movie is a Roman, and Andy's crime is what she did to that dress. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask you about it, because I was... I didn't want to, only because... I didn't know if you were going to be like, well, that's the most beautiful dress I've ever seen. Or you going to be like, that dress no. is foul. You definitely need to I wanted to have a waistline. I, basically, I wanted to have a waistline. And also... Oh, it, it, it dropped my jaw when I saw it. Because I just thought, oh, I'm sorry, what what, what? 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 What is this? What is this homunculus of a dress that you've brought before us? I've, that I've, I've just jammed these two dresses together. With... Yeah. Like, whatever. Your dad... The You've dress your dad fucking... got you, not great. It's like obviously. the clothing equivalent of the island with Dr. Moreau. Yeah. But just wear, wear Annie Potts' dress. It was perfectly lovely. Yeah. It's a lovely dress. You would have been pretty in pink. Yes. I mean, I get the idea of having to have her in something that is kind of, like, alty, you know? Yeah. And it has been established that she makes the clothes. She, yeah. You know, but, like, all the rest of the clothes a, she makes she's work. She's a quality seamstress. She is a quality seamstress. But, like, the rest of the clothes she wears in the film look yeah. nice. Yeah. Like, they do. Yeah. I just look. I, I don't... I I think I ha- I used to hate the dress a lot more yeah. than I do now. Maybe it's because, like, a loose fishing... A loose draping dress is much more in now, so my eyes become accustomed to it. Yeah. I don't know. But, like... She ruined such a nice dress. Just, um, it's the only look I don't like her in in the movie. Yeah. Her hair is great in that, though. You love the hair. Yeah. And look, I know you said you don't like a bolo tie, but Ducky's big brooch bolo at the end is such a big brooch, Louis. I still think a giant absolutely blue gem. Come on. Oh, just, no. Give me that giant. Blue gem you brooch. You would not catch. I'll me just dead. pin it on this T-shirt. That you I'm wouldn't wearing. catch me dead in a fucking bolo tie. I mean, I I don't think I would also like you in a bolo tie. What about me in a bolo tie? Hard pass. <laughs> Denied. Here's a question. I'm gonna wear the bolo tie. I'm gonna shave my head. Right. I'm just picking things I know that you you would hate. Um, so. I could deal with one missing. She's fine. Both of them together is just a just demented. I must find a third thing that you hate so I can really make the trifecta of uh, the look I'm going to sport around the house for the rest of this pandemic. <laughs> what are you going to talk about the, for the next episode? Alright, next episode we're going to stay in the 80s. We are going to be looking at the album... Oh no, it's Devo! By Devo! Sensational, I'm excited. Alright everyone, thank you very much for listening. Um, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.